So this morning, we're going to get a perspective from two men who were not in the twelve, but they were very close to the twelve. They were certainly part of the 70 that had gone out. Why do I know they were so close? Because it's resurrection day, and they were at the house when the women came back and said, we've seen angels. They say that he's risen. The tomb is empty. They say he's risen. They were in the house when Peter and John got up and promptly ran to the tomb, came back. They were still there as they reported, um, it's just like the women said, except we haven't seen Jesus. And then we don't know why, but for whatever reason, they started home. They lived in a place called Emmaus that was seven miles from Jerusalem. And this is where our text picks up today. Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was 60 stadia, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stopped. They stood still. Looking sad, one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of these things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him saying, stay with us for it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, 
Were our hearts not burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. Would you pray with me please? Lord you are in this place today. Father would you hide me behind the cross. Could we see Jesus? Could we hear Jesus? Could our hearts burn? Could our eyes be opened? That you are here. Not just here in this service, but here in our lives. Here to to lead us forward. Come, Lord, and do what only you can do, we ask. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated. The title of the message today is A Time to Rise. Point one, Jesus is alive and next to them, but they're sad. They're walking. They've got seven miles to go. When Jesus says what things, they literally stop. And men are usually, even if men feel emotion, they're they're usually good at hiding. They cannot hide it. They are sad. They, they are struggling. It is, it, they're wearing the sadness. Why are, why are they sad? Because for three years, they had been traveling with Jesus. They had seen him give sight to the blind. They'd seen him give, give hearing to the deaf. They'd seen the dead raised. They saw food multiplied. They saw him still storms with just his word. They had seen for three years an answer to every Pharisee, to every demon, to every darkness. There was authority. There was, he was, they were sure, the Messiah. He was the one that would deliver them. And then sure enough, In the end, evil triumphs. The power, the powerful Jewish priest, the powerful Roman um, procurator, uh, eventually they were sure this was the time that, that for once good was going to win. Beauty was going to win. Innocence was going to win. And then they saw it right with their own eyes. Nope, nope, same old story. Those who have the power win. Corruption wins. Evil wins. It's more powerful than good. They had watched it happen before their eyes. And here's the words that they speak to him. We were hoping that he was the one. Hope is in the past tense. We were hoping. And then we saw this happen. And so... He's not the one. We're, we have to wait for somebody else. Do you know what this Proverbs say about hope deferred or hope delayed? Hope delayed makes the heart sick. And when your heart is sick, you become very cynical. And you just can't believe stuff anymore. The, the women come back and they saw angels and they saw the empty tomb. Sorry. My heart's sick. 
I don't, know, I don't know what that was. And the disciples went and checked it out. And they came back and they said, yep, the tomb is empty. And they're like, but did you see him? Nope, didn't see him. They're not, they're not buying it. They're not, they're not buying it. Their hearts are sick. When your heart is in this condition, it's very hard to see Jesus. It's very hard to recognize Jesus. But here's a beautiful promise of scripture. It's from Psalm 34, verse 18. It says that God comes close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Did you, do you notice something about this verse? It doesn't say... That God is close to the brokenhearted if they pray or if they believe. There's nothing about that. When you're brokenhearted, when you are sick in heart, when you are disappointed, disillusioned, when you are cynical, God is there. You might not recognize him. You might not see him. But the one you need the most the one maybe you're the most mad at and the most disappointed in is actually right there. I was so touched by John's story that in the midst of his darkness that Jesus would come and sit on his bed. In the midst of the depression and the, the, the attack of evil and the addiction that, that Jesus, that Jesus would come. He comes close to the brokenhearted. That's point one. Here's point two. It's about God's invitation. Jesus said, Oh, slow, you foolish men, slow of heart to believe all the scriptures. They read the scriptures like we usually do. We take the parts we like and then we put them on the refrigerator. And, and, and they had, a, had formed a belief about Messiah and what Messiah was going to do. And they just kind of conveniently didn't believe or didn't read, fully read the parts that were hard and negative and that were hard to understand. So they believed in a Messiah that was going to be powerful and deliver them and make everything right and turn over the Roman power and make Israel the head of the nations and the, the glory of the Lord would fill the whole earth and... Jesus said, you gotta, you got to believe the whole thing, guys. And then it says that he, he began to expound the scriptures to them. It says that he started with Moses. Now, the Jews refer to Moses as the first five books. The first five books of, are the law. Genesis through Deuteronomy, they're the law. They were written by Moses. And so they were just called Moses. So Jesus starts telling him, them, how all of these scriptures in the Old Testament applied to him. And it says he began with Moses and then the prophets. So we, we have to kind of imagine 
what exactly he said. What, what did he say about Moses? What did he say that was in Moses that was about himself? And it, I mean, it's not that hard to, to figure out what he probably said. Moses was sent to deliver God's people out of Egypt and they were delivered by something called the Passover. And in the Passover, they took this lamb and God said, it needs to be a lamb without blemish. You have to inspect the lamb and make sure there's no blemish in it. And then you need to kill that lamb. You need to sacrifice that lamb and you need to take its blood and you need to apply it to to your doorposts and, and to your house. And wherever that blood is, Um, will be passed over when judgment comes. And then you take that lamb that you have killed, that you've, you've taken the blood and you've applied it, and then you feast on that lamb. You eat that lamb. That lamb is going to be your food for the journey that is before you. And so when Jesus starts with Moses, he says, guys, what, 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 what are we celebrating this weekend? It's Passover. I'm the lamb that all of those lambs were pointing to. He probably said, I, I, I was with the 12 three nights ago and, and, and we were doing Passover, the Passover that you've rehearsed year after year after year. And I told them Passover that it was set up at the time of Moses, has now been fulfilled in me. He said, I took the bread, that unleavened bread, that unleavened bread, to be without leaven means to be without sin. I held that bread up and I said, this is my body that is given for you. I am the lamb that was inspected. I was inspected by Pilate, by my enemy, and he said he is innocent. I was inspected by my betrayer and he said, I am innocent. I am the unblemished Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. All of those lambs, the reason why you guys did it every year, it was because those lambs, their their blood could never remove sin. It could only cover it from year to year. So it had to keep being done. But now I'm the lamb that removes sin. He said, I took the cup in the Passover. You take the cup and and the wine. and, And he said, I took that cup at Passover just a few nights ago. And I held it up and said, this has been fulfilled. This is my blood. The blood of the new covenant. Moses brought an old covenant that pointed to this final covenant. This, this is my blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. So that whoever believes in me And not just mental assent, but whoever applies the blood to their own sins, to their own life, will be passed over, will be given eternal life. And I will be their food. I will give, I will be, you will eat me. Your your fellowship with me is what will sustain you on the journey. And then, he talked about the prophets What did he share from the prophets? The prophets said this, guys. 
that Messiah isn't just going to come and conquer. First, he has to come and die. First, he has to come and suffer. Evil is not just the Romans and the Jewish leaders. Evil is within every heart. First, Messiah had to come and suffer and die. We don't know what scriptures he shared, but I certainly believe he included Isaiah 53. Verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And as he shared these scriptures that they'd been reading their whole life, but this time, as he read them, their hearts burned within them. This was the truth. There was a witness. This is the truth. So I want to tell you a story of a guy that was born in 1703. His name was John Wesley. Ladies, John Wesley was the 15th child of Samuel and Susanna Wesley. And she wasn't done yet. She had four more. He was 15 of 19 children. Samuel was a pastor, so he grew up in a pastor's home. Susanna was a disciplinarian, so everything was very, very rigid and disciplined. I I mean, how do you have 19 kids and not have discipline? Anyway, um, I'm actually going to be doing a series starting in August on Sunday nights on the history of revival. And uh, we're going to be going through all of these revivalists and telling their stories because these stories need to be known. And John Wesley is one of my favorites. Anyway, so he grows up very religious, wanting to please God, wanting to do the right thing. He goes to Oxford. He's studying to be a pastor. And he leads a group called the Holy Club. And his friend, George Whitfield, is in this club. His brother, Charles, actually is the one that started the club, and they're in it. And the Holy Club is trying to live holy, holy lives on Oxford, which is a very godless campus at that time, even though they're studying for ministry. Lots of stuff's going on. And and so they order their lives. And when I say order their lives, I mean 24 Four, seven. They, they had what they were going to do at 6 a.m., what they were going to do at 7 a.m., what they were going to do, and it included everything from prayer to reading the Bible to feeding the poor to going out and witnessing, and, and their whole life was this weight of duty. <laughs> and it was miserable, but it was, they, they were sure this is how you please God. And so he gets sent on his first ministry assignment to um, Savannah, Georgia in America. Of course, America is, is not even founded yet, but we're, we're here. And he is coming over to, to preach to a congregation that's, that includes Indians. And he is coming over here to, to, to please God and to bring the gospel to the whole world. And um, something happens to him on the ship over. So there's this other group of Moravians 
And they have got these worship services that are very lively and filled with worship and filled with testimony. And he would attend these services. And, but what happened, they're, they're, they're on their way from Europe to America. And there is this horrible storm where it looks like the ship is going to, is going to sink. And it is terrifying to John Wesley. And he realizes how terrified he is about dying. And as he is in his cabin, gripped with fear, he hears, of all things, singing. He's like, what on earth? So he goes out. The Moravians are gathered in worship. And he's, he's, he's stunned. They're not afraid. And then he says in his journal, even the kids... These kids were singing with no fear and were in, a, in the middle of a storm. It was confusing to me. So they, they make it through the storm. They get to America and after they land, he meets the Moravian leader named August Spangenberg. And Wesley actually records in his journal what, what happens next. So I'm going to just read you right from his journal Spankenberg asked me, my brother, I must first ask you one or two questions. Have you the witness of the Spirit within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? I responded, or he writes in his journal, I was surprised and knew not what to answer. Spankenberg observed this and asked, Do you know Jesus Christ? I paused and said, I know he is the Savior of the world. True, he replied. But do you know he has saved you? I answered, I hope he has died to save me. He only added, do you know yourself? So he goes, has this ministry to the Indians. It's a disaster in Georgia. You know, it's always a disaster when the pastor is not saved. But you, you can't give away what you don't have. You, you, you just simply can't. I mean, you try, but you can only give away what you have. And so it was just, it's just a mess. So he, he ends up going back to England defeated. And he talks with his Moravian, new Moravian friends and said, you know, what, what do I do? I know I lack this witness within. And they said, you know, keep... God, only God can give you what you need. Keep going to meetings. Keep pursuing it. So he goes to this meeting. This is in 1738 in, in a place called Aldersgate, Aldersgate Street. And um, they are having a meeting. And the person leading the meeting is reading Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And Martin Luther is describing his own Conversion. And it, it's all around Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. That I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel means good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to save everyone who believes, both Jew and Gentile. 
For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed that is from faith to faith. The righteous, those who have been declared righteous by their faith, now live by faith. And Martin Luther describes this awakening. That righteousness had always been an angry word for him because God was angry at the world because we weren't righteous. And no matter how hard we tried to be righteous, we couldn't be righteous. And so wrath just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to him. And then he has this experience in the tower of, uh, in Wittenberg of seeing that, oh my, this isn't about me becoming righteous by my works or by my religion. This is a righteousness that's provided by God. This is about Jesus being righteous. This is about his death. And that when I believe, I get his, righteous, his righteousness. This is how a man gets right with God. And so Luther, the preface to, to, to Romans that, that Luther wrote is being read. And Wesley says that his heart started becoming warm. He says, it was, my heart became strangely warmed and it was given to me an assurance that God had accepted me, even me, that I trusted Christ. No human being can give you the witness of the Holy Spirit. Everyone needs their own encounter with God. So this last week, I was asked to do a funeral um, for, for a lady that goes here, had gone here. I talked to her husband, and he said, I, I didn't know her personally, but he said, oh, you, you, you baptized her two years ago. I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, she's very, very introverted, but, but a believer, and... And she loved me, and she she wanted she specifically asked that I would do her funeral. So, um, so Monday de- death had given way to victory, and we I preached my heart out at the funeral about salvation and Jesus and heaven and all of that. And before um, I had come, I called and talked to the funeral director and. I said, is there somebody, because I'm going to do the committal service out at the cemetery as well, and I said, is there somebody that will, will drive me? Who will, who, will, who will be with me? He said, you know, it actually works better if you drive yourself. And so I'm like, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll get in the lineup. So I, when I got to the funeral home, I said, where should I put my car? And, and this young lady says, no, you just park it. I'm, I'm appointed to drive you. I'm going to be your driver. I'm taking you to the, to the funeral. And, and, and so I get into the car with her, and it's just her and me. And it turns out this, she shouldn't even be here. It, it turned out she's from another place, but she, was, she just got here today, and she was my designated driver. And uh, so I got to hear her story all the way to the, uh, the, to the, to the graveyard. And uh, she's a, a young mom. They just, her and her husband just had their first child. And, um, and she, she loves hearing uh, funerals and loves hearing. She really enjoyed my message, da-da-da-da-da. We do the committal service, and I just decide that on the way back, I'm going to ask her about her faith. 
And so she, she tells me the story. She says, uh, well, I was raised Catholic. And uh, she said, frankly, we, we haven't been very good Catholics. We, since the pandemic, we really haven't been going or, or watching. And, and we just, we really haven't, haven't been good Catholics. And I said to her, I said, you know, I was raised Catholic. And, and here's my concern for Catholics. Is sometimes Catholics do all of the religious stuff but they actually aren't saved and they haven't really given their lives to Christ and they don't know that if they died, they would go to heaven. And, and I said, uh, how about you? Do, you? do you have an assurance that you belong to, to Jesus, that Jesus is, is living within? She said, I don't, I don't have that assurance. I, I, no, I don't have that. And so I, I told her a little of my story and how I accepted Christ. And, and, and I said, you know, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And uh, do you think he's knocking on your life? And she was like, you know what? I actually do think he is. She said, ever since we had this baby, there has been something drawing me. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, the guys, the, the guys that, the guy that talked to me about this, he gave me a chance to pray a prayer, to, to give my life to Christ, to open that door. And I'd be happy if, if you want to pray that prayer, I'd be happy to lead you in it. Do you want to do that? Yeah, I want to do that. I said, do you mind if we do it while we're driving? She's like, let's do it. And so, so I led her in a prayer to accept Christ and, uh, and then I, I, I said, now, I, said, now I, I need to pray for you. And that's where I pray with all of my heart for the most important thing. And that's for that witness of the Holy Spirit. That God, would you come and let this one that you love, this one that you died for, Holy Spirit, would you come and give her the witness that, that, that she's in, that she's saved, that she's your child. This isn't just true for the whole world, but it's true for her. And so we get back. She stops right in front of my van for me to, 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 to go. And I said, do you, I turned to her, I said, do you believe that God heard your prayer? Not my prayer, your prayer. And she said, I believe. Guys, it's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be a good person. You and I need to be saved. We need to be born again. We need it to become our own. We need to have, I, I, love, I love what John said, we need to have the magic moment <laughs> where we know that there has been a connection between us and God, and no human being can give that to you. But God invites us. So that's point two. Here's point three. We're almost done. Point three is telling the story. So they didn't know it was Jesus walking with them 
But they invited him to stay with them because it was almost, it was evening. It was almost dark. And so when they were inviting him, they were inviting him to stay the night. This is, it's very dangerous to travel in that day at night. There's no streetlights. There's no security. You're on your own at night. So for, for them to let him go on would, would be dangerous. It would be inhospitable of them. So they invite him to stay because it's dark and no one wants to be out at night. But isn't it interesting that their hearts, as, as Jesus is breaking bread, all of a sudden they recognize, oh my, it's him. And then he disappears before them. Do you know what the next verse says? It says, that very hour they got up to go back to Jerusalem seven miles to tell everybody else what had happened. And the question, of course, is, where is the fear? Where's the fear of darkness? And of course, the answer is this. The joy that they had required that they had to tell the story. All of a sudden, darkness wasn't in charge. Evil wasn't in charge. Corruption wasn't in charge. Jesus is alive. And all of a sudden, I can overcome my fear. I can overcome my fear of the dark. And I'm going to go, and I need to go tell somebody. So it was a little unclear in, in John's testimony of what, what exactly happened in 2021. Because his testimony is over a year ago is when Jesus sat on the bed. But he had a second encounter in 2021 where God said, I need you to tell others. <laughs> I, 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 I'm making you a minister. I need you. I need What happened to you was not just for you. I'm making you a minister. I want you to go tell others. And that's when he came in to chat with me. Well, I've got news for all of us. He doesn't just want to save you. He wants to make you a minister. And I'm not letting John off the hook. Maybe he is called to be a full-time minister, a traditional minister. Him and I are going to talk about that. But I know this. He and all of us are called to tell the story. To tell the story. Because we, Christ in you is the hope of glory for the world. Christ in you and I. The, the Bible says be ready always to give a reason. When people ask about the hope that is within you. They're going to see hope in you. They're going to ask. And you be ready to talk. Even if you're an introvert. You be ready to talk. Well, what about my fear of speaking? Your joy in Jesus can be greater than your fear of speaking. So I, I went back this week and in my journals and found a, a specific dream that I had in, uh, in it, was, it was on October 3rd this last year. It's a Friday night. And the worship team can start coming. 
So here's the dream. I'm on a bus. And for whatever reason, I know that this bus is City Church. This bus is moving. And, and these are the people that are seated are people that are at City Church. And I'm walking down the aisle of this bus. And there's somebody near the front. And I know that those that are near the front are leaders. They're leaders at City Church. And I see this guy. And I have no idea who he is. And I, sa- I say to him, who are you? And here's what he says back to me. It's my time to shine. That's what he said, those words. And I, and I woke up. And two things were very clear to me when I woke up. The first one is this. Is even though he just recently started coming to City Church... The vision of City Church, which is revival and region-wide unity, had been in his heart for a long time. Even though he's new to this church, even though I didn't recognize him, he was not new to the vision. He had been carrying that vision for a long time. And the second thing I knew is that this was the fulfillment of Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. Arise and shine, for your light has come. Not just the light, not the world's light, your light has come. Verse 2, deep darkness is on the people, but the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Kings will be drawn to the brightness of, of your rising. Nations will be drawn to your light. It's my time to shine. Let me tell you what happened to John Wesley. He has this experience with the grace of God where he realized this isn't about how good I am. It's about how good Jesus is. And he has this warming experience and he just can't not tell it to everybody. His friend, George Whitfield has a similar experience at the same time. So they're going around telling it and, and they're, they're pastors. So they go to churches. They start telling it. Well, churches get mad and the religious leaders get mad. So they get kicked out of the churches. They can't speak at any church anymore. The Church of England has kicked them out. And so they started speaking in the fields. Tens of thousands of people would come out. The coal miners would come out and, and they would, as they're preaching, they would see white appear on their black cheeks because of tears that were coming. The Holy Spirit was coming in such power. John Wesley was five foot six. He had to preach on a chair. He weighed 120 pounds. But when he spoke, God came. And it's what we call today the first great awakening. Both Whitfield and Wesley would go back and forth to America, to England, and everywhere they went, revival and awakening came. Why am I telling this story? 
Friends, that was the first great awakening. In the 1800s, there was a time that's called, referred to as the second great awakening. Listen, God's got on his schedule a third great awakening in America. And it's now. This is our time. There, there could be no greater time to be born than right now. God is moving by his spirit. He is waking people up. He is taking people. Do you know what John, when John called me originally, do you know what he said to me? Pastor Tom, I need to come in. I've had an awakening. I've had an awakening. No man was even involved. He's all by himself in his room. And Jesus just comes and sits on his bed. Folks, that's an awakening. This is the day that we live in. And God is raising up a people. And he's taking their identity out of their deep darkness and their shame and and their addiction and, and the voices that mock. And he's saying, look up. Your light has come. My glory is going to be your covering. My glory. You're going to be carriers of my glory in the end times. We're going to pray about that in a moment. But before we do, we're going to have communion together. But before we can have communion together, I need everybody, please, to just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. When John first came into my office, here's what he said to me. He said, Pastor Tom, if God can save me, then he can save anybody. I was proud. I was addicted. I was under darkness. I was a cynic. I was a mocker. If God can save me, if God wanted to save me, then he wants to save everybody. And so if you are here today and Jesus is knocking, maybe your testimony is like John's. Maybe it's like the other John, like John Wesley, and you've been religious but have lacked assurance. But Jesus is knocking. That this is an appointment, just like the appointment God set up on Monday between me and that young lady. That this is an appointment from God. And, and Jesus is knocking, and you can say, yeah, I recognize that. I, I'm being invited to something. The reason why I have every head bowed and every eye closed is because this is between you and God. You can't do this for somebody else. The reason why I'm going to have you raise your hand is because somebody helped me open my door. Somebody gave me a prayer to pray to open my door. And it is my joy to give that prayer to other people. So if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that is you, Jesus is knocking, you want to open your door today. Would you just raise your hand real high, long enough for me to see it? I see that hand and that hand and that hand, 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 that hand. This hand right here, God bless you. Uh, that hand, that hand, that, in the balcony now, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Anybody else? You, everybody that's raised there, I can see them all over you. Put them down. Anybody else? Don't, don't miss out on this. If, if you need, if you're, you're in, raise your hand. I see that hand. God bless you. We're going to pray in just a moment.
I see that hand right in the front of the balcony. God bless you. So here's what I want you to do. Keep your eyes closed. Take the hand that you raised and just slip it over your heart right now. Get ready for the magic moment. Pray something like this in your own words, in your heart to God. God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for dying for me on a cross. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my own righteousness could never save me. My own religion could not save me. My own goodness could never save me. But Jesus, I believe you died not just for the whole world, but for me, that you love me and that you want to give me righteousness. You want to give me that right relationship. So Lord, right now, I open my heart by faith. Come in, wash me, forgive me, save me, and make me your own. Okay, now I want to pray for you. Lord, I beg you, I beg you to give these dear ones an assurance that I can't give them. No man can give that to them. No priest, no parent, no grandparent, no one can give this assurance. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come to the fearful? Would you come to the legalistic? Would you come to those that feel unworthy and like they could never be loved? Would you come and would you warm their hearts with assurance that yes, you are mine. Would you do that, God? In Jesus' name. It's my time to shine. If you want to be part of the third great awakening, if you want to say to God, God, I don't want to miss in our day, in our time, what you're doing. I want, if there's going to be a third great awakening, I want to be right in the middle of it. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I don't want to be in cynicism. I don't, I don't want to be stuck in selfishness. I want to be part of the third great awakening. I, it is my time. It's not just, it's not just Jesus has come to shine uh, 2,000 years ago, but he wants to shine today through me. And you want to be part of that. And frankly, guys, all we can do is say yes. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes this true. But if that's your heart, you want to be part of the third great awakening. I want you to just open your arms like this. Maybe you just prayed to accept Christ, but if you want to be part of this, open your arms like this. We're going to pray. Lord, we know this is a day of deep darkness. There is deep darkness on the people all over. There is a growing selfishness and coldness and meanness and there's more demonic stuff happening and more division and hatred everywhere. Lord, it's at this very time that you're speaking to your church. So Lord, right now we're looking up. Would you let your glory come and seal us?
You said the glory of the Lord would rise upon us. Lord, could your glory, the glory of your presence, the glory of who you are, rest on your people? Not just as an experience, but as an identity. Could our identity be your glory and not our sin and our failure? Lord, individually and corporately, would you shine in us and through us? Because, Lord, we're praying for the people out there, the people that are they're, they're stuck, they're, they're blocked, they're, they're in all kinds of stuff, and they need to see something that draws them. They need to see something more than religion. They need to see something more than just a different belief and an argument. They need to see something resting on us. Lord, raise us up. Raise us up. Help us to receive and reflect your light, God. Bring that harvest in and use me. Bring that harvest in and use us. We pray, God. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.